is Service Headline News. I am your host, Marty Smith, and I'm joined by our historian, Eric Perron. Gentlemen, how are ya? And our man in the closet, Jake Wall. <laughs> What's going on, guys? We're here to bring you the latest headlines and updates pertinent to all servicemen and women. So, take your seats, get informed, and have a laugh as the Swearing In Podcast presents Service Headline News. Woo! Uh, Eric, congratulations on... It's not retirement. It's just stop working, right? Oh, no, it's retirement. Well, did you retire? I thought you had a consulting job. Well, that's the consulting on my... was in air quotes. That was in on my time. If I'm available, I will consult. But did if you I'm really? Not, did you retire from that security company or not? Well, I, I from ICR, the contractor company. I did for twenty years. He's still on the books. No, no, no. I was only there five years. I'm just retired because of my age. Sixty. I'm done. You just stopped working. I just stopped working. That's called <laughs> oh, retired. But that's, that's, a, that's retired. A, he retired from the military, so anything right. else is great. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. I actually respect just stop working more than yeah, like, like a that. second retirement. Okay, guys, I stopped yeah. working on Bucket Thursday of last yeah. week. Congratulations. All right. Let me tell you what I did today. Oh, I woke gosh. up this morning and had to bitch about all the cars in my way while I was trying to make my tea time at the golf course. All those people going to work, they need to get the hell out of my way. That's valid. Yeah. 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 Right. I was almost late to my tea time. God, I'm so yeah. envious. So envious. <laughs> Dude, I recommend this whole retirement don't stop working thing right away. And right for those away. of you listening, if you've misman- if you've mismanaged your money like I have <laughs> and you and you're still paying a price for a divorce, oh. keep working. Yeah. <laughs> I like how you just a <laughs> oh no, I, I did both. Yeah, I've done oh, yeah, both. Good call. So, yeah, yeah. Good call. Um either that or uh you know find like a you know remember Lethal Weapon, the first one? Oh yeah. Yeah. He was living in a trailer on the beach. Oh that yeah. And you just like one California wouldn't even allow it. Well, not a working man, they wouldn't allow it. Maybe a homeless guy they wouldn't allow it. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, he had a trailer on the beach. Yeah. You, that's because he didn't have a tent. You got to have a blue tarp in the shape of the tent. <laughs> They'll let you stay there. <laughs> so I guess yeah, that's an that, option. That place, though, was awesome, right? It was in, It was like an Airstream or something. Like yeah, old, a little one. Old yeah. Airstream. Dog had a little trapdoor. Yeah. <laughs> All right there on the cliffs above the beach. Right. That's right. great. I mean, it's it's probably one of the most unrealistic things you've ever seen, right? Because that's you know that's prime beach, prime real estate. Yeah. You and know who, this uh, cop, this burnout cop, is living in. A, maybe they thought he was homeless. Maybe they were. Maybe they did. Of, yeah. Yeah. Maybe that was. I it. read uh, Matthew McConaughey's book. Yeah. And and he, after early on in his career, he made it like he was in romantic comedies and all that stuff. Yeah, right. I remember making. Tons of money. He was still living in Texas. He bought acreage and had an Airstream trailer for like a decade. Really? Yeah. Huh. That's all, that's what he was doing. He was uh-huh. like, yeah. When he wasn't filming in LA, when they were paying him to live there, yeah, he would just come back home to Texas and live in his Airstream and. So he had bought the land and he just put that airstream out there and was living on yeah, it. Yeah, just living on it. I was like, man, that's awesome. It is awesome. Well, there were some guys. I remember guys that's pretty uh, cool. when they PCS to somewhere. Oh yeah, yeah. That they'd live in a camper on uh, on base at whatever. What were those? What, like, one of my students at tech school when I taught at Vandenberg. Yeah. We would always check in with the students day one and be like, okay, where are you staying? Where's your dorm? You know, what dorm room? Do you have transportation? All that yeah. kind of stuff, right? Right, right. One of the guys, we had like three guys that used to be Air Force Honor Guard. And it was, they were done being Honor Guard and they basically got to choose what career field they wanted. Oh, nice. That they were qualified for. Oh, yeah. So they went space. And so one of the students, I'm like, hey, where are you living? He's like, fam camp. That's it, like, fam camp. That can remember I go, the term. Yeah. 
I was like, you living in fam camp in your truck or what are we talking about? You know, because you got a station wagon. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, no, I've got, he had an RV the whole time he was out at bowling in D or in DC. He lived on fam camp. Wow. And basically used his airman pay to pay off this big RV. Him and his wife lived in this RV on fam camp. He said his next door neighbor was Air Force Two pilot. And yeah, can you imagine? That guy had it. That guy was smart. He had TDY money and a gorgeous RV and a lieutenant colonel or full bird colonel living in D.C. So that housing allowance paid for more than that damn RV and fan pan. That's smart. I saw uh, The Covenant this weekend. Oh, nice. Uh, Guy Ritchie's movie with Jake Gyllenhaal about the uh, he was in and it was he was in Afghanistan, but it was it wasn't like current time. It was like 2017, 18, 19, somewhere around there. So it wasn't trying to be like current. But yeah, the whole thing was he was on an op. Um his whole team got wiped out essentially, and the interpreter dragged him to safety over several days, you know, saved his life. And then they, nice. they shipped him back. And but the interpreter did all this for for getting paid, but also because there was a promise of visas for him and oh, his family his to family. come to America, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so the movie went, well, they kind of defaulted on the visas, or you know, it's gonna take them months to get them. And he's like, I just helped. Uh, and there's there's periods of time in there that like his countrymen call him a traitor as he's trying to interpret for the Americans, you know, yeah, you know, you're a traitor dog and all that stuff. So when the Americans are gone, now this guy's in danger. And that yes. was the whole that was the whole crux of the movie. And then Jake Gyllenhaal gets in with you know a civilian company and tries to go get this guy so was it based on a true story correct it was, it was not based on okay. a true story but okay. it's but you can see much like private ryan there's stories woven in you like oh i can see that as an individual story and they just okay. they put it all as part of this right? tied to a bunch of other events yes yes yeah. um so at, at one the first thing that struck me was uh at the very end they did a whole bunch of stats about how many people were left behind in Afghanistan um, and how many people are still, you know, still waiting on visas, you know, under threat of death from the Taliban. So I I, I was like, how did Hollywood make that? I was like, oh, it's Guy Ritchie did it. So (laughs) British did it on an American issue because Hollywood never would never allow a story like that. Right. But didn't we talk about the British actors last time? And now we've got a a British director. A British director doing an American story. Yeah. Yeah. But I I don't think uh, an American director could get away with it. But Mm. here's the the thing that I thought was interesting was uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character is a master sergeant in the Air Force. He was a JTAC. Okay. Yeah, I know JTACs do a lot of stuff. But he had like a whole team of Air Force guys. I assume it wasn't very clear, um, but I mean, he's not going to lead an army team. Why would they give an army team to a master sergeant in the air force? Even though he's an E seven still, they would, I don't think they would, they wouldn't cut army guys over. So I assume that his whole team was air force JTACs and their mission was to go search for IED factories. And I was like, huh, that seems like a, weird mission for JTACs to go do on their own. So I don't know why it didn't take away from the movie, you know, it didn't, but those who know is like, it doesn't seem like a JTACs would go out and do that. Maybe they did. Maybe I'm is that even written part of their mission? Right. Well, I mean, no, <laughs> I don't think so either. That's my point. It's like, it didn't sound like something they do but at they, all. But they were deadly shots with every weapon they picked up to include sniper <laughs> rifles, pistols, M4s, whatever you got. He, he they were good at, right? <laughs> so uh that was a little like mm, you know, and there's a there's a couple slow spots in it that probably could be cut by five minutes apiece. Cause when you're watching it, you're like, there's a whole montage of 
Jake Gyllenhaal trying to call the State Department to get these guys visas. And it went on and mm. on and on. I don't know if he went that yeah. long to go, okay, I'm annoyed now, too. Yeah, probably. Because I was. Hopefully. I was like, you could cut this. I get it. He's frustrated. But uh, all in all, good movie. It's a good movie. They, these guys couldn't miss, though. And, and it was kind of uh, <laughs> it was kind of like stormtroopers from everywhere. Everywhere they turned, there were more Taliban. All driving Toyotas. I, we used to joke about Toyota should have made an ad. They should have made Toyota an ad. Toyota Hilux, man. Heck yeah, man. Those the bad are... guy vehicle of choice. <laughs> Keep it's they the were, durable they were, vehicle of choice. They were good in Somalia. That's pro- they probably were good why in... the U.S. won't import it. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah, that's right. They don't, huh? They got a tariff on it or whatever. Or a yeah. restriction uh... on it. Anyway, if you get a chance, that's a good movie. Uh so today I had to, uh, is the start of this three day conference I had to do for my contractor job. And I had to put together, uh, this conference over three months. It's a quarterly thing. I have to coordinate between Peterson, Space Force, Space, LA and Buckley. And it's all this program management level stuff about testing. It's all this testing for space. Um, and I was riding in today and I was like, uh, you know, I was nervous because I was like, well, there's too many things that can go wrong because you could have some, you know, GS-15 not get a VAR. Well, I'm going to hear about that if he doesn't get a VAR, right? Um, or you have some PM manager of, you know, one of the biggest programs go, hey, why is this conference system out? Because it was. And I was like, ah, oh, shit. So uh, <laughs> that's what I was more nervous about. But then I started thinking, the things I've done, I didn't be nervous about this. But, you know, you are because you wanted to go well. And then I thought I would ask my two co-hosts, do you remember the one of the most nervous times in your military career? There is. There's a couple. Oh, a couple. Oh, yeah. There's many times. The biggest one for me was um, when I was stationed in the Philippines, I ran the day shift of a training squadron that taught air-based ground defense skills. Basically, I took an Army manual and I taught all the Army skills to our Air Force cops. Well, anyway, to enhance our skills and make us smarter, we jumped up and down for probably a year to get us a slot to the Marine Corps Patrol School uh, and learn how to patrol with the Marines. So finally, we got it, and I took two fire teams. I was a tech sergeant, uh, two fire teams up to Subic. And they took us out to the boonies off the of Subic, some freaking jungle. <laughs> and we we got stood up in front of uh, the Marine Corps uh, detachment commander. He was a captain. And he decides to go off on all of us talking about what makes you think oh, yeah. that you can come in here and do what we do and... I was terrified. He he choked me all up, man. <laughs> so before it was all done, so he's crawling up my ass. He's up and down and finally says, so tell me what a five paragraph warning order is and all this stuff. And I mean, we knew basic stuff. So yeah. I gave him my, my definition and he put us in the push-up position. And he told me that your Air Force bubbles will not pass oh, my course. Damn. And, and there was eight of us, two fire time, two fire teams and me. And he says, there's none of you that are going to pass it. Well, by God. After And, of course, after his hard time, we went through the course, and we were terrified. But we all passed it. So I, nice. I got my certificate of completion. But, man, the entire time, the tension, the time under tension with that guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I was nervous the entire freaking six weeks. Right, right. It was retarded. <laughs> I, terrified. Yeah, but. But man, I would have been pissed at that guy, and I would have made sure every single one of our guys. Yes, been... it was it was definitely motivation to, to yeah, make yeah. sure we stay there. Oh yeah, right. screw you. <laughs> yeah. We're going yeah. for it. Yeah, then you can then you can run on spike, and then that that gives yeah. you a lot of that'll give you a lot of energy. <laughs> it was you've been living on spike for forty years, Marty. Well, I I think Scott Scott Westfall has it flowing through his veins. Oh, that's yeah, that's a good. <laughs> If he ever forgives anything, he'll drop dead immediately. Yeah. That was His probably body my... will go into freaking remission or something. 
Right. That was probably my most nervous. Now, I mean, of course, you've been in other situations that were more dangerous, but yeah, from but a nervous just standpoint, about, yeah, 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 that was it. How about you, Jake? Um, I think the nervous one would be like the first time loading like live munitions. Ooh, oh yeah. yeah, right. You're Ooh. rolling up. I'm driving the little loader, and I'm scooping up a thousand pounds worth of. <laughs> a oh yeah, and then I got to go line it up. Right. Ah, oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> there's no do-overs, Jake. <laughs> yeah, there's no. You're like, wow. oh, what, rank, what rank were you when you were doing that? I was an airman. Like I came in airman basic. So damn, I think I was an airman. That's the weird thing. I think I was an airman basic when I was in Kuwait already. Oh, really? Yeah, because wow. I got I was an airman basic. I got to Alaska in July, and by October we were deployed. Jeez, <laughs> Jeez. and you'd already they'd already switched your uh, systems, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They're like you're Welcome on the eight ten. Pack your bags. We're out of here. Yeah. Welcome yeah. to the Air Force. I know. Yeah, it was entertaining. <laughs> Don't push that button. Well, shit, live munitions. Yeah, that yeah. would that would do it. No doubt. God damn, that's a good one. Uh, Eric, what do you got for a day in history today? Well, guys, tonight I have a day in history that really changed the outcome of World War II, or at least World War II in the Pacific. Um, in May of '42, you all know U.S. and Australian naval and air forces were facing off against the Imperial Japanese. They were getting their asses handed to them in the Battle of Coral Sea in the South Pacific, uh, and they were looking for ways to fix this and create an, an opportunity for us to get a hold of the Japanese and, and make some headway against them. So um, the name, Lieutenant Commander Joseph Rochefort and uh, Captain Layton, which was, uh, uh, what was his name? Layton was a uh, Nimitz right-hand guy. Oh, okay. Okay. So these guys were crypt crypto analysts and linguists. They made up the U.S. Navy uh, Navy's Combat Intelligence Union. So I'm going to summarize this into a smaller story so we don't have to go for hours into this thing. Um, <laughs> but they were able to break the Japan's, uh, Japan's main operational code. Uh, they dubbed it uh, Juliet November 25 Bravo. So they were able to intercept messages, decrypt them, translate parts of those radio messages within hours of when they were sent. Well, as the thing started progressing in May, there was some radio traffic that was intercepted that said Yamamoto, the mastermind of Pearl Harbor, was preparing for another major invasion uh, involving four Japanese carriers, along with many other ships. Okay, They were designated, they kept hearing the term AF. Um, so Rochefort and Layton were tasked with trying to identify what AF was. Station Hypo had little doubt of to what uh, AF was referred to, but they needed to verify it and confirm it. Ultimately, they did. They end up sending a ruse message um, out to Midway, and they told Midway to send a message via submarine that says you're out of fresh water. Oh, yeah, I remember that story. Yeah. Well, on May 16th, 1942, they got the confirmation they were looking for in a message that they intercepted saying exactly that, that AF was out of fresh water. Oh, nice. So it was the turning of the war in the Pacific where we were able to, well, you guys know the, the outcome battle of, of Midway. So we were able to turn the tide on the Japanese army or Navy. So it was a huge day, huge day. Wow. That's pretty cool. And that was on the 16th. Huh? That is, yep. That's pretty neat one. That was the date of the confirmation. Woo. Nice was, pull. Yeah. That's, that's a good pull there. I liked it. I mean, okay. the story's, it's, it's, the story's oh. much more detailed. We, we no, just summarized know, right. it. So right. real quick. I'm a little disappointed you didn't ask if we knew it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> because I was ready. I was like, yep, today, definitely. Pinup art was officially authorized. <laughs> I don't think it was yeah. ever unauthorized until later. Oh, you, know, you know there was a couple of them that they were like, no, 
You got to paint over the Chi-Chi's, boys. Well, I was going to go, do you know Lieutenant Commander Joseph Rushford and Commander Layton? And I, I knew the answer. So well, I, I don't know why you, you, you got to do that, Eric. You got to do that every yeah. time, man. Ask yeah. my question. Okay. My that's, bad. Your, that's your thing. <laughs> Uh, okay, let's get on to the news. Uh, our first story here, uh, we touched on it before. I think Jakey brought this up, but this is a new story. Um, it's out of taskandpurpose.com, and it says, here comes the Sky Warden, the crop duster that's SOCOM's newest armed Overwatch aircraft. So they are actually flying these things now in low production, but they're gonna get, they, they want to try to get 75 of these things. It's one of the ugliest planes you ever see, but mm. this is why they chose it. <clears throat> so after years of making U.S. Special Operations Command's dream of a fleet of brand-new multi-role armed Overwatch aircraft is about to become a reality, defense contractors L3 Harris and Jake. Oh, Air Tractor. Air Tractor. They won <laughs> a $3 billion contract to produce the aircraft last August. Uh, they've officially entered low billion. low rate three billion. They've officially entered low rate initial production of their single engine turboprop, the AT eight O two U Skywarden light attack aircraft. Uh, they want to get seventy five of these things eventually. Uh, the aircraft is intended to provide U.S. special ops with crude, deployable, affordable, and sustainable aircraft systems capable of executing. Close air support, precision strike, armed intel, surveillance and reconnaissance, ISR, uh, in austere and permissive environments for use in irregular warfare operations. You know what? I'm looking at a picture of this thing. It looks like the old uh, O2 bird dog with just a bunch more armament on it. You remember that bird in uh, uh, Vietnam? Oh, the one that was like a spotter plane, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it looks yeah, yeah. like it looks like they just threw a bunch of armament on it, but I I mean the tail's different for sure. But well, if you see the yellow one, you're like, oh, that's a crop duster. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a hundred percent a crop. Right. That's what air tractor used to make is crop duster. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm looking at it. I see that. That is funny. And now they hit it big, big with three billion, three billion dollar contract wow. building aircraft that they were already building. Uh, it's billed as the largest single-engine turboprop aircraft in the world. The yeah. original in the world, the original air tractor AT-802 aircraft on which the Skywarden is based first flew in the 1990s as a crop duster. Its rugged airframe and relatively large payload capacity made it ideal for counter-narcotics missions in South America that required aircraft to operate on unimproved airstrips and dirt roads. The Skywarden variant that SOCOM is procuring has a payload capacity of 8,000 pounds with ballistic armor. Uh, the aircraft can loiter on station for six hours with a 200 nautical mile combat radius. So six hours. And features 10, 10 external hardpoints, eight wing hardpoints for 600 pound bombs and two centerline hardpoints for 1,000 pound bombs. The innermost wing station is optimized for firearms from 50 cal to 20 millimeter. Ballistic glass windshields and windows, cockpit and engine armor, separated self-sealing fuel lines, and fuel tanks with emergency fuel dump are also featured on this Skywarden. Energy-absorbing steel tube frame and a cockpit roll cage structure capable of supporting full aircraft weight. So I guess wow. if that... Gets shot down, rolls down a hill, I guess. Right? That's freaking cool. Uh, flight, power, fuel controls, and instruments in both front and rear cockpit. So it can be flown from either side. So it's a two-man plane. Uh, it can be f uh, flown from either side. Now, I'll put some of the links to this in the description. But if you can, look up the cockpit of that thing. I mean, it is. it looks like, you know, F-15 in there. Really? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um. The adoption of the Skywarden is intended to replace its small fleet of U-28A Draco ISR aircraft in SOCOM's inventory. The long-term goal of the program, apart from finally fielding a light attack aircraft, but to eliminate the stack, quote-unquote stack, of multiple single-role specialized ISR and close air support aircraft that are often called in support U.S. Special Ops. 
Wow. So, uh, who is this guy who was talking? Um, so is this another opportunity for, well, we better be controlling the airspace because this thing doesn't look like it's going to. Oh, it's not doing air to air. Break any speed sure. records, right? Yeah, yeah. But then again, uh, I don't, you know, I mean, if if they're talking about special ops, right, and we're sending them into third world countries or whatever it is, right? Right. That I mean, they, they don't have air forces. Now, if we're in Ukraine going up against Russia, you don't want to be flying around huh. in this slow ass motherfucker. Right? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know. Yeah, because they got you would a lot think of things. though, like it could get in and get out. It's not a huge plane, huge, huge no, plane. That's right. Yeah. You know, it's just guaranteed close out air support for these guys. Can a can a prop plane, Mr. Stinger Troop? Huh? Does a prop plane put out enough heat for a stinger to lock onto? It does. Oh, it does. Damn. It does. No, oh, that sucks. Even with the sensor. armored uh that armored cockpit area? It, it does. Because it's going to be venting heat. Oh wow. vents, yep. God damn, and it'll pick it up. That's pretty amazing. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> it'll pick it up. Absolutely. So this guy says you'll typically have uh, single-role specialized platforms like the AC-130, A-10, MQ-9, U-28. So you have a stack of airplanes over an objective, yeah. each one just doing one thing. He said this Air Warden is designed to do a whole bunch of those to eliminate those stacks. So huh. pretty cool. I mean, it's uh, it's it's nothing pretty. Is it in service now? Is it already in they service? Started, they started flying them, yeah. Okay. But it's at low production. I don't know what that means. So I think they've got two or three of them that they're flying. <laughs> low production. You have yeah. one. Don't, you got, you got don't one. Don't wreck this one. You got yeah. one. <laughs> don't, don't screw this one up. We might not get another one for a while. Oh, man. Uh, okay, so let's get on to uh, a couple of the short, fun stories here. Now, Eric, I know you were uh, – Station in Turkey, right? Yep, I was. Were you at Insulik or no? I was. All right, so this one's going to go right towards you. Uh, from Stripes.com, Air Force tries to tempt airmen to stay in Turkey with largest assignment bonus yet. So it says, now, stop me when you need to, but <laughs> for years, Insulik has been low on airmen's wish lists, largely because of the heavy restrictions on leaving the base and on bringing families. So when you were there, would they let you off the base? Well, believe it or not, in 82, when I got there, Turkey was under martial law, and they had oh, me shit. downtown with government soldiers walking everywhere. So it was crazy. Oh, oh that's right. You were living yeah. downtown, right? Yeah, I lived downtown almost the first yeah, four months I was there. But you weren't wandering around shopping and going out, right? Nope. Get on the bus and go to work. <laughs> uh, in 2016, the Pentagon ordered nearly 700 military family members to leave Insulik and two smaller bases because of deteriorating security. But the Air Force began letting personnel into a roughly 10-block area outside the base in Adana, a city of about 1.8 million just before the devastating earthquakes that struck southern Turkey and Syria in February, killing about 50,000 people. So Ooh. not only you got violence and unrest, now you got earthquakes. earthquakes. Uh, access to those 10 blocks was restricted after the earthquakes, but has since been reinstated. Airmen also can visit select locations outside the base and throughout Turkey and their, at their leisure or through base tours. Some areas in Adana and elsewhere remain off limits because of security concerns and earthquake damage. At the end, so uh, not painting a great picture for anybody who wants to stay in Turkey, right? Is it <laughs> no. is it a year tour? Is it a year tour over there? It was. It was at the time for me, yeah. Okay. Um, so at the end of last year, knowing all this, the Air Force bumped up the incentive pay from $300 a month to $1,000 a month. Uh, that was added to the paychecks of airmen based primarily at Inserlik Air Base, on one-year unaccompanied tours. Wow. So not only are you getting a remote, but you're getting a thousand bucks a month. For, that's twelve yeah. grand. For that's huge. Year, that's a good deal. Tax-free. Send me back. I'm ready to go. Jeez. 
so far, about 35 airmen have signed up for an additional year in Turkey. Um, making mm. it, so it's it's a tax free bonus of a thousand per month, making it the most generous non combatant pay assignment pay in the service. In the service, <laughs> so those who are going to Syria aren't making as much as those who are going to Turkey. That's crazy. That's is it that um, is it that bad? I don't no, just nobody wants to go. I guess more people more people want to go to Syria than they want to go to Turkey, I guess. I didn't think it was bad. Now you had a nuclear weapon storage area there when I was there. Yeah. And you also had a whole lot of operational stuff going on, especially when the Gulf War kicked off out Allegedly. of Turkey. Yeah, that well, and <laughs> I what was the base that supported uh all the Afghanistan stuff? Was it is there like a K two base or something like that in Turkey? Uh, not that I'm aware of. There's Izmir. It was a small air station. Uh, Incirlik was the bigger one. Okay. Uh, and I think there was one more, and I can't remember the name. But here's here's the uh, here's the catch, right? Uh, taking the incentive pay can be a gamble since there's little time to test the waters. Airmen are eligible to enroll before moving to Turkey or within 60 days of arriving. A waiver is required to sign up. <laughs> Outside of that uh, 60-day window, the higher incentive pay is in effect until December 31st of this year, and rule will be reviewed annually. Uh, it's available at all ranks at all locations in Turkey. If an airman receiving incentive pay ends a tour early, the Air Force will review on a case-by-case basis whether to require the money to be returned. Hmm. So it's like all or nothing, baby. You either go, like you either it, either stay the whole time, or, or, or well, that's, that's the same with like those reenlistment bonuses, right? Yeah, true. If you don't do and the full you, term, you can, yeah. yeah, yeah. If you don't stay the full amount, you can owe them back. They're always going to get their money back. Uh, but that's I, I, that's why I thought they prorated it. So well, they did, they did, but they also had a chunk at first. God, that, was... that you got. That would suck, man. It's like, hey, I'm getting a thousand a month, but I gotta leave early. And they're like, oh, give that back. Like, too late. It's already gone. <laughs> I think they need to bring back some intramural football like we played. I'll get some people there. That's probably because you weren't on the base at all. That's her like Yeah, oh, that's right. To go to? They're like, it hey, was... where's where's Perot? Oh, he's playing football again. Yep. Son of a no, bitch. No weapon today, Perot. You got two and a half hours <laughs> of freaking football practice. I feel bad for all those guys that had to pick your shifts up and stuff. No, they That's were right. at, they were avid was, wild boar supporters. Oh yeah, <laughs> they, they were the cheerleaders. <laughs> yeah. Here's another story with even more incentive money from the government. Now, this one Ooh. I don't quite understand, but I'm going to give it my best. Right, this is from the Navy Times. Sailors who sign up for three year journeyman sea tours to get bonus pay. All right. So I don't quite understand that, but there are some things in here that I'm like, whoa, that's how long you'll see. The Navy is adding new ratings eligible for incentives under the Detailing Marketplace Assignment Policy, or DMAP, the enlisted career management tool introduced last year to reduce manning gaps at sea. So I don't quite understand what manning gaps are, but I guess it's like, I I would like to, to... have a Navy guy on and go, you know, <laughs> What's a almost, <laughs> well, almost every unit I've ever been in, in the army or the air force has always been undermanned, right? Sure. I've never been in one that had more than enough. So do, do boats go out? Uh, undermanned? undermanned. Good question. I have no idea. Potentially. Or do they just like, they're like, Hey, we're a hundred people short. All right. Start rounding them up. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how that assignment. I mean, I'd like I think they're assigned to that one ship, though. A lot of them, unless you're air crew, a lot of them are assigned just to that ship for their like four years or two years. Yeah, but do you think? I, I, I mean, is I, it I, interchangeable? I guess it would have to go out full, right? I mean, you couldn't send yeah. a you couldn't send an aircraft up, you know, seventy percent manned, right? No, yeah. So that doesn't make um, sense, but. Man, there's some there's some people forced to go out on that sea tour that's you don't want to hot bunk with, right? So, <laughs> that's an angry yeah. son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, 
DMAP allows sailors in C-intensive ratings at E4 and below who wrap up a four-year apprentice sea tour to receive certain benefits if they sign on to another three-year journeyman sea tour. So I don't know if they if they have those levels, like maybe apprentice yeah, your like first RCDCs. tour. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So maybe that's how they do it. Uh, it comes with incentive bon- bonuses ranging from two hundred to eight hundred dollars a month. The exact amount is contingent upon the location and type of sea duty, and can be modified depending on the popularity of the duty station or other factors. But it basically averages out to about five hundred dollars a month. So, the Navy first introduced this DMAP in December twenty twenty one to gradually replace seashore flow. I don't know what that is. I didn't have enough time to look it up. <laughs> Which dictated that sea tours were a maximum of five years. Did you know that? Uh, no. I, I didn't okay. I, don't, I don't think it's talking about like being out at sea. I think what you I said assigned to that ship. Being assigned to that specific ship and going right. out every time it goes out. For five years. Um, yeah. Which they go out maybe six months at a time or something like that. But still, yeah. that's not, I mean, that's dreadful to look forward to. Right? Uh, hey, honey, I'm home. Uh, oh, yeah, later this year, I got to go out again. Again. Yeah, yeah that's, that would suck. Or, or you know what? You, you know they have to do exercises and, like, run out days, like crew trap proficiency oh, days yeah. and stuff like yeah. that while they're back at shore. So they're not just at port the whole time. They'll leave for a couple of days then come back. Do then do that again during yeah. that six months back. Plus all the constant maintenance on the ship for a duty day anyway. Yeah. Right. Yep. Well, uh, it said the Navy said the policy led to gaps at sea, which led to difficulties in implementing circadian rhythm watch bills, degraded material readiness, and limited training times. So it's just driving everybody crazy, it sounds like. Well, uh, they, they're pulling they're pulling 12s instead of eights. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, right. Uh, DMAP eliminated the maximum sea doer 2D length constraint. Then Fleet Master Chief West Koshofer told reporters in December 2021, at that four-year market sea, the sailor is just developing a critical skill set for us. We value that. We want that experience to remain at sea, and we're willing to offer some real incentives to keep it there. There's another 500 bucks. Uh, additionally, the sailors are incentivized to do this because a lot of career milestones in our sea intensive ratings occur at sea or while deployed. So it sounds like you probably need to be out on the water to do the stuff that needs to get you promoted. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. As of November 2022, the Navy said that there were 9,000 sea duty gaps or empty billets within operational oh, units. 9,000. Damn, it's a so manning maybe, shortfall. Yeah, they do have a problem. Like, wow. So, so they're turning the money too, which is probably their best bet to get you know soldiers, sailors, marines, uh, airmen all to do what they want. We'll pay you more. It's like okay, well, that makes sense. That's probably your best motivator. So, but still, that's a lot of people. Last story. Uh, this may be bad news for some. But it may be justified news for many others. So that's my own take on it. Uh, this story is from ArmyTimes.com. The Army starts no penalty purge of ineffective recruiters. So I don't know how many of those they got out there. And they're probably putting more pressure on it because the Army is already short, right? But as the military struggles to meet its recruiting targets, which the Army will miss again this year, they already know it. The service's recruiting chief issued a directive Friday standardizing recent changes to how it removes underperformers. The memo from Army Recruiting Command's Major General Johnny Davis implemented recent changes to the Army regulation governing how recruiters are assigned to and, if necessary, removed from recruiting duty. Uh, One of the biggest changes of this memo was... The command will remove ineffective recruiters without giving them a negative evaluation. Now, so you just I, lose your job. I, I think you just lose your job. Now, I think Air Force was the same. I think is that you can be non-volved into a recruiting, or is all, recruiting all voluntary? 
No, you can get special you can duty. Get involved. So <clears throat> I thought it was special duty. It, it they get special duty pay. Okay. But I think I think I've I've heard of some people being forced into being a recruiter. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you can get non-involved. So they'll just pick you out of your career field. Um now if if you think about that, you get non-involved in there and you're not doing a good job, and then they're gonna do a referral EPR on you, well you're screwed. Your whole thing's screwed, right? Your whole career screwed. They put me here, I didn't want to be here, I'm not very good at it. And now you're going to give me a bad EPR on it. And now the rest of my career is kind of jacked. Well, this, this memo supposedly removes some of that. <laughs> under, the pre- under the previous regulation, recruiting commanders had the discretion to slap failed Army-selected recruiters with, quote-unquote, relief-for-cause evaluations that could torpedo the recipient's career. Yeah, just what we were talking about. Regardless of their competence in their primary specialty. So you can be great at your AFSC or your MOS, but you go be a recruiter and you suck, then that screws your primary job up too. So that's that's good that they're doing that. However, the memo defined ineffective recruiters as those who have been assigned to the command for at least a year, but have signed two or fewer. <laughs> two recruits so it, since October, you're pretty ineffective. Is is that what it's just based on? That number though, the the, the number of recruits that you have? Uh yeah, that's what the, that's what they said for right here. Yeah, so an ineffective oh. recruiter is somebody who has signed two or fewer recruits since last October, and that's the only requirement. Ouch! That's it. Yeah, Davis noted that each recruiter recruiter assigned to a production role, which comes mm-hmm. with extra pay, is responsible for at least one contact per month. Davis said that over the next 90 days, command will immediately re- reassign ineffective recruiters who receive the required counseling and training. So if you get labeled as an ineffective recruiter, you go get counseled, then you go get retrained. So those who have completed that but haven't improved uh, will immediately be uh, reassigned. Army selected recruiters who haven't received the paperwork necessary to justify the ineffective designation will be offered voluntary reassignment outside of recruiting command without a negative evaluation. So hmm. I think that's pretty good. I mean, if you get non-volved into something you don't want to do and you're not very yeah. good at it, well, you're not going to pay the price. <laughs> you're not very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoying that extra pay, but you're not getting anybody in, I suppose. Uh, the move to boot non-performers off recruiting duty comes amid efforts to transform how the service selects, trains, and assigns recruiting personnel. It's funny, though, that the Army is seriously thinking about the fact that, hey, if the guys bringing people in are pissed off and disgruntled at the Army for being non-volved here, maybe let's get happy people. (laughs) Yeah, right. Or... Or it could be like this guy's not getting anybody in, but we don't want to lose any more else, anybody else. So let's not kick him out. Yeah. Let's just reassign. That's exactly it. Yeah, we got to keep him too. So, well, it does make sense that you would put in that position someone who wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, ideally, versus someone who doesn't want to be there. Yeah, ideally, you know, you want to put the best face on there, right? You right. Want to- yeah, uh, put the old Vietnam vet in there, or you know the guy. Uh, what what, what would, was the? I would go over the, well. <laughs> what was the damn? Uh, what was the sci-fi movie where they were fighting the bugs? Remember that Captain oh, Star, Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers, yeah. and the, rec- the recruiter was like missing his legs and stuff. He's like, made a man yeah. out of me. Yeah, Damn, man, that's that's pretty insightful, actually. That's pretty well, good. Look at this guy. <laughs> made ha- more like made half a man out of your buddy, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas, it's time once again for our all military selection. And mm. this and this week, it's the all military aircraft carrier. So mm. th- this one's gonna be tough. Because we're we're going to have to put up a fight, Jake. You and I are going to have to put up a fight against yeah. Eric here, just because Eric's quick on the trigger when he pull when he selects one. All <laughs> right, I'm going to choose. I chose the USS Gerald R. Ford. 
Uh, United States' newest aircraft carrier. Uh, the USS Gerald L. Ford CVN-78 is the lead ship in the Ford class of aircraft carrier, the first new class in more than 40 years. The $13 billion aircraft carrier is the most technologically advanced warship ever built. She is also the world's largest aircraft carrier and the largest warship ever constructed. The largest warship ever constructed. CVS-78 honors the 38th President of the United States and pays tribute to his lifetime of service in the Navy, Gerald R. Ford. Um, it has, uh, let's see, how does it differ from the Nimitz class before? Well, the Gerald Ford uh, has two reactors, two nuclear reactors that generate 600 megawatts of electrical power versus only 200 megawatts for the Nimitz class. An electromagnetic catapult that can generate 25% more sorties than the Nimitz steam system, as well as a dozen electromagnetic weapons elevators. I don't know why, I don't know why, why that makes a difference, but apparently it does. Uh, it has an Aegis-style X-band AN Spy-3 Aegis radar and the S-band volume surveillance radar capable of search, track, and multiple missile illumination, detecting enemy aircraft and missiles. Two Mark 29 missile launchers with eight ESSMs each and two rolling airframe missile launchers and four phalanx close-in weapon systems for point defense against aircraft, missiles, and small ships. So this city called an <laughs> aircraft carrier. Yeah. Yep. And I guess it also has uh, fiber optic cables all the way throughout this ship, which wow. is uh, which is better against uh, the sea air. So um, it's it it's fantastic. This thing is just enormous. Um, it's and it's it's relatively the same size as the Nimitz class, but I guess the way they design redesigned the hull, it has more tonnage in this thing. So. Mm. That's hmm. my, that is my submission is the USS Gerald R. Ford. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Well, <laughs> is it me? Yeah, because Jake well, won last. Jake week. won last week. Oh, okay. But but wait, Marty, you didn't go into any of its like military prowess. It's oh, the largest warship ever built. Yeah, but it had no. I mean, did it, has it done anything other than? It's the newest large? warship we have. It's just yeah. floated around. It looked cool. Yeah. It I just, mean, I guess, I guess if you show up in their in their port or out on their coast, and they're like, "That is a very impressive large <laughs> warship." <laughs> we give up. It has no service record because it just went out. It's just they just floated it out like last year. It took them like 10 years to build the damn thing. Did you say, wow? Yeah. Ooh. Wow. Yes, it's all, it's, it has just a slightly better record than the B-36 bomber. Oh, we have to go backwards. Oh, I love that one. That was a good one. We went, hey. Um, it could have been cool. It could have been cool. It could have been great. Until they oh, retired well. it. And, well, the same yeah. thing's going to happen with Gerald Ford. Do you think she's going to have any conflicts? Mm. This thing was $13 billion. Oh, yeah. They're not retiring this damn thing for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it, mine, was a, mine was commissioned. In, wait a minute. In hey, wait, wait. You just wait your turn, young man. Oh, sorry. sorry. It's, it's, time, it's time to move on. We're going to the winner here, right? So my aircraft carrier, the Big E, nicknamed the Big E. The USS Enterprise, formerly CVN 65. All right, I'm going to give you a stat. During I thought you were talking about ecstasy. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you were riding on the Enterprise, you felt like you were on. So during its career, the US Navy says the Enterprise steamed for over 1 million nautical miles. And at the decommissioning was the third oldest ship in the Navy. So that's going to give yeah. you a little bit of background on what this bad boy was capable of and what it did. Number one, first nuclear aircraft carrier, period. 
Period. Period. <laughs> I'm putting an exclamation Period. on it. Okay. Enterprise. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, but that was that was all. That's that's all follow-on stuff, right? You just wait your turn. Hold on. I well, wait, it, did, it didn't start life as a nuclear carrier. Yes, it did. Yeah, it was Enterprise the first one designed. It's the only aircraft carrier to house more than two nuclear reactors, having an eight reactor propulsion design, with each A2W reactor taking the place of one of the conventional boilers in earlier designs and construction. It's it's ready to do more. Now, if you move in to what it's done, Cuban Missile Crisis helped in the blockade, first thing. It goes into Vietnam. Yeah. So you chose the USS Enterprise CVN-65, right? I did. Well, shit. I want to change mine to the USS Enterprise (laughs) CV-6. That's what I thought you were choosing. (laughs) No, I chose the CVN-65. Because you know what the U.S. Well, then our whole thing's invalid now. Why is that? Nope, you went with it. It was look up, look up mind. USS Enterprise CV six. That's, that's going that's that's to be the World War II two. version, right? That's the World War II version. The most decorated U.S. ship no. of World War II. 1958 to 2012. EVN sixty five, CVN sixty five. It's been in more conflicts than the Enterprise CVN six. That's why I went with CVN sixty five. Okay, I think that's a mistake, but okay. This enterprise, you're, you're it's too late now. You're locked in, Marty. Yeah, you're locked in. <laughs> Don't I'm mind not, me locked. Locked in. I'm not locked in. I haven't, I haven't revealed what I chose. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> I'm switching to the enterprise, the good one. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, I rest my case. I'm not going to go in. Yeah, it's that's a pretty good boat. Not yeah. even close to the capabilities of the Gerald we, Ford. It but. talked about the Sea of Tonkin supporting Vietnam, many, many sorties uh, all over Vietnam. It comes out. It goes into the war, supports the Iraq war. It uh, relieves the two carriers there, and it picks up their uh, timeout and created a protective air over the, the country for air superiority. So I don't right. think you can pick a better one. I think you can actually. Well, during World War II, it was an old boat. It got into a battle. So what? <laughs> oh, wait, Eric. Okay, wait, stop. <laughs> it, it got into a battle. It was literally in Pearl Harbor, retrofitted. Uh-huh. It manned the Doolittle Raids or participated in the Doolittle Raid, the Battle of Midway. Yeah, and then island hopped around South Pacific. Yeah, and it was torched a number of times, and still kept going. That's the one I thought you were going to choose. Okay, I thought so so too. That's what's funny. So you don't like Enterprise CVN six? Oh no, no, just like you don't like my B thirty six. It's a it's a perfect choice for you, actually. Yeah, it's perfect. Mm. Well. I am not going to change. I can't oh, change. I, even though, even though I do agree with Marty, I thought you were talking about that. Anyway. <laughs> I chose the uh, USS Carl Vincent. That's a, that, that's a big name too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. CVN seventy. I'm just going to sit here and pout. I don't oh. have. I don't have any say. <laughs> just going to pout. Hey, you you still got probably the best. Aircraft carrier. As long as we don't choose the first or the previous USS Enterprise. No. Anyway. (laughs) People are home like, what the fuck are these guys talking about? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It was officially commissioned in, uh, mine was officially commissioned in 82. It's a Nimitz Nimitz class. So it is a supercarrier. I, I love the fact that they house like a full couple of squadron of aircraft on this yeah, thing. Yeah, that's pretty badass. Um, Nimitz class, so nuclear powered, all the specifics, all your wonderful war stories. Um, <laughs> or the pul- propulsion, sorry, four shafts, 
four steam turbines. Um, <laughs> so commissioned in the eighties, uh, participated in a bunch of exercises in the Pacific. Exercises. Yeah, that's what I, I thought was entertaining. I'm like, you know, they were doing exercises on that thing, and I never even thought about that kind of stuff. Yeah. In the two thousands, was the filming location for the movie Behind Enemy Lines. Behind Enemy Lines. The classic, the cinematic classic. (laughs) (laughs) Right there with Cher. I think it's (laughs) Owen Wilson or Luke Wilson. It was Owen Wilson, yeah. Yeah, nice. (laughs) Right there with Cher. As long as you suspend all, you know disbelief yeah. and all that stuff so when was that 1990 the conflict was 90 it was in uh bosnia yeah it was bosnia yeah bosnia, it was yeah. supposed to be about uh, i don't remember the name of that pilot who actually got shot down and they rescued him um it's supposed to be that movie is supposed to be about him yeah scott oh, okay. o, is it scott o'grady was that his name scott o'grady uh, I think. Right. <laughs> it doesn't sound right I'm checking. It doesn't sound right either way. Okay. F-16 down. Scott O'Grady explains how he was shot down. Well, then why'd you ask? (laughs) Because I was trying to get you in on the win, but apparently you didn't want to win. Enemy Lines was a Navy film, though, wasn't it? He was a Navy pilot? I'm with you. So, I don't know. This guy was Air Force, huh? Yep. Um, it's been in the Middle East doing all kinds of conflicts, was the launch point for multiple um, operations out there, constantly going around the world in, in conflict. was doing Southern Watch. It was actually the last, um, it was the location of the funeral of Osama bin Laden. It was buried at sea. The op was ran. Oh, off of the Vincent. Carl Vincent? Really? Yeah. That's cool. I didn't yeah. know that. But that's my nomination, Carl Vincent. <laughs> this has been the worst iteration of this. This thing. is a yeah, horrible. It was bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think we should just say screw all our nominees and go with the World War II USS Enterprise. I agree. All right, I'm, I'm gay. Yeah, this, oh. it was terrible. <laughs> that USS Enterprise, a Yorktown class carrier built for the United States Navy during the 1930s, she was the seventh U.S. Navy vessel of that name, colloquially called the Big E. She was the sixth aircraft carrier of the United States Navy, the most decorated carrier of World War II. She was hmm. also the first American ship to sink a full sized enemy warship after the Pacific War had been declared when her aircraft sank the Japanese submarine uh, I-70 on I-70 <laughs> on 10 December 41. On three occasions during the war, the Japanese announced that she had been sunk in battle, inspiring her nickname, the Grey Ghost. By the end of the war, her planes and guns had downed 911 enemy planes, sunk 71 ships, and damaged or destroyed 192 more. That's impressive. I don't think we can find a better aircraft carrier. Yeah. Than that. yeah. I'm in agreement. All right. So our winner by consensus is the USS <laughs> Enterprise CV6. <laughs> I think we salvaged that rather well, actually. All right. End up. Definitely end up on this. <laughs> Please. This is, Put us out of our misery. We're calling this episode. Uh, on behalf of all of us here, I'd like to thank you for listening today. Please like, share, subscribe, and let us know how we did in the comments. Maybe not. And as always, <laughs> make sure to download the next episode for more service headline news. And thanks for the week, and I'll see you in a couple weeks. All right, guys, take care. All right, guys. We'll catch you later. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.